This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am Gwen Cooper, your host, and uh, both delighted and apologetic to be back here with you after an unplanned hiatus of several weeks. Um, the reason why I am delighted to be here is, is because I am delighted to be able to do this again, and I will tell you in a moment a little bit about what's been going on and where I've been. Uh, the reason why I'm apologetic is that I'm pretty sure this is not going to be a great uh, podcast. This is not going to be a great episode. I apologize for that in advance. Um, I do have some things to say about cats, but not much this episode. I, I give you fair warning that if you don't want to hear about stuff that has nothing to do with cats, then this would be a good time to hit the stop button and move on to a previous entry, or if you're listening to these out of order, move on to the next one, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, um, so I just got back a few days ago from dealing with a, a medical crisis with my mom down in Miami. Let me first say that I also I actually got back a week ago, more like like eight or nine days ago, actually. Um, and the reason I have not posted anything sooner is because I, it would appear, have COVID. I have not taken a COVID test, so I do not know that to a certainty. But given my symptoms and the duration of them and the fact that they are very unlike typical cold symptoms for me, I'm going to say COVID. I have been getting, you know, and I, and I just spent a, a whole 10, you know, a, a, a grueling 12 days in Miami. And again, I will talk about that in a little bit. But I will say, for example, that, that I lost 12 pounds in 12 days while I was down there, um, which should give you a sense of, of how stressful the situation was. And although I'm never opposed necessarily to un the unexpected losing of 12 pounds. It is not how I would have chosen to lose them. But the point being that then it was a lot of stress and a lot of running around and, and running myself down and being in and out of hospitals and not eating very much and or sleeping really at all. So it's probably not a surprise that that, that I contracted something. Um, and it hasn't really been very bad. It has not been a terrible round of COVID. I, I have a theory that sometimes, and, and maybe this has happened to you too, sometimes following a period or, or during a period of incredible stress, I will get like a minor cold and not one that's so bad. I wear, you know, sometimes you get those colds where you really just feel like you're going to die and it, it's not that bad. It's just bad enough to force me to slow down and get into bed. And I always think of it as my body kind of saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we understand everything you've got going on. We, we know how very busy you are, but just like everybody else, you also need to rest sometimes. And we are going to make sure that you do just that. We are now taking control. You have not been managing things well. This is my my hypothesis as to why that happens. It's probably as, as good a one as any. So this has been the thing that has been keeping me in bed for the past week. I'm actually feeling much better now. But um, yesterday, the COVID moved into my eyes. And so I look very... Uh, 
very unappealing right now. I, I had an idea that I was going to, the weather has just gotten, it was a very gray week when I first got back from Miami. Now the weather here in New Jersey is beautiful, just beautiful blue, China blue, cloudless skies. And I was looking forward to kind of getting out and rejoining the human race a little bit. Uh, but honestly, when I saw myself in the mirror yesterday morning, I, I, I kind of wanted to chase myself with a pitchfork. That that is how contaminated I look right now. The the only word that comes into my mind when I look in the mirror is unclean, unclean. So um, yes, it looks like I'm going to be holed up at home for another few days, and that's just the way it goes. But here I am recording a podcast and talking to all you fine people. So thanks to the wonders of modern technology, at least I am not completely isolated. Um, but anyway, the the COVID, uh, it, it was really pretty, my throat was pretty bad for a while. And, and uh, you might still be able to hear a little bit of residual raspiness. But that is why I did not record a podcast earlier. Um, this all brings us back to Miami and the situation with my mother, which I cannot talk about much. I really can, I, I don't want to go into specifics at all. On the one hand, you know, I, I look and and my mother, it's not my mother's fault that she is the mother of someone who has chosen to write memoirs and, and be public about a lot of aspects of her personal life. That does not mean that the people who are related to me or who are friends with me are not entitled to privacy. Different writers have different philosophies on these things. Um I don't want to talk too much. I don't really want to go into any specifics about my mother's situation. And I don't even want to talk too much about her specifically because I want to respect her privacy. But there's a part of me that feels it's a shame because I, I think there are some important things to talk about coming out of that. And so I'm going to speak in some generalities um, not all of which pertain to my mother specifically, but all of which have been on my mind. Because I, I, I think a situation that many of us find ourselves in, and certainly this only increases as we get older, as we become elderly, perhaps we're elderly and widowed and with children or relatives who don't live close by. And it can be very difficult to know when you need help and then to ask for that help once you know that you need it. And everybody's situation is different and and the people who you might from whom you might be able to ask help is going to vary. Not everybody has children, not everybody has a spouse, not everybody has uh close friends who live nearby. Um I I do know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are animal lovers and and this is not true of all animal lovers, but I do know that there are many people who love animals in part because they find human relationships difficult and relationships with animals are are so much simpler and cleaner and more pure. And I, I understand all of that. Uh, but truly, the, the expression no man is an island, I, I think, is very accurate. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit. This is a philosophy that I've had my my whole adult life let's say. Actually, even longer than that, I'm going to say going back to college when I first started living on my own. I developed a philosophy that there are three things having to do with your home that if you are failing to do these three things on a regular basis, you 
are probably not well or not doing as well as you might think you are. And when I say doing well, I'm, I'm not talking about your, your job or your finances. I mean, you, you may not be doing as well as you think you are. You may not be as emotionally together or, or solid as you think you are. And everything, nothing is, has changed my mind about these things. Nothing that has happened in my ongoing adult life. And certainly the my experiences of the last few weeks have very strongly reinforced these ideas. And so I'm going to, I think this is as good a, a basic gut check, you know, mental health, wellness, self-check-in as any. And I did want to go over this a little bit um, because if there is anybody listening who's thinking, you know, this this kind of sounds like like me, like maybe this pertains to me. It might not hurt to to explore that a little bit further and and see if maybe some outreach is warranted. So not not to be too mysterious, and I will dive right in. Um, three things in your home that if you are failing to do these things on a regular basis, and if you are, let's say, 30 years of age or older, youth is a whole different thing. Um, but if you are an adult and you are failing to do these three things in your home on a regular basis it might be worth exploring whether or not something is wrong. Um, the first of which I'm going to say is making your bed. If you're not making your bed, now, not everybody always makes their bed. And I will say that the last week and change, while I've been sick and I've been spending a lot of time in my bed, I have not been making my bed as such because I get out of it. And then two hours later, I'm right back in it. And it really is sort of the definition of futility to make my bed six or seven times in a day. And I'm uh, that that's one one thing. And again, I will also say if you're a teenager, if you're in your 20s, if you are still kind of getting your act together as an adult, leaving the bed unmade is a kind of casual sloppiness that that may not mean anything in and of itself. But as you're getting older, um, consider the fact that that what is your home? Ultimately, it's a place where you sleep. It's a place where you eat. It's a place where you change, you store your clothing and and get in and out of them. And so, if you are not giving your place your your home, if you're not giving yourself an inviting, comfortable, clean place in which to sleep, then I I think you know it, it at a certain point a, a lack of self care I think begins to border on self harm and I think this is one of those things I, I think it's also a very common sign of depression to stop making your bed um, and a close corollary of this by the way is to stop sleeping in your bed I went through like like more than twenty years ago I went through a traumatic breakup and for the better part of a year I was sleeping on my couch now I lived in a studio apartment. And there was one TV and it was facing the couch. And when I first was going through the in the initial throes of the breakup and I found that I had a hard time falling asleep and it was easier to fall asleep with the TV on. And the only way I could see the TV or be in front of the TV was to be on the couch. Um, but this went on for the better part of a year. And I finally and I and I had I didn't even bother to justify it to myself. I was just sleeping on the couch but I did eventually have to reckon with the fact that most people sleep in beds and no, I, you don't have to be a slave to convention just for the sake of doing what everybody else does. But by the same token, no matter how exceptional you may be in, in certain and sundry ways, you're probably not that much different in most ways from most people. And most people find it neither healthy nor, nor comfortable, nor particularly 
loving toward oneself to sleep on a couch when there is a clean, comfortable, functioning bed nearby that is also an option. Um, so, so sleeping in general, if, if you are not creating a, a safe, clean, inviting, habitable sleeping space for yourself in your home, I would consider that a red flag. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is not washing dishes, letting dirty dishes stack up in your sink. Now, again, I have certainly had a Saturday night dinner party and then not done the dishes until Monday. Um, sometimes, you know, everybody lets these things slide. Sometimes I have put a plate in the sink and it is sometimes sat there for two or three days. Um, that's an occasional thing. We all do that occasionally. I think, though, if you are doing that routinely and if you are letting dishes kind of pile up in your sink, again, you know, some of that is is a cleanliness issue. Um, dirty dishes that pile up in a sink, you know, tend to attract some bugs. If you're not cleaning the food off them, they they can get kind of moldy and mildewy, especially the ones on the bottom, because the sink is a damp place. Um Again, consider that your home is where you sleep and where you eat. And if you are not providing yourself with with clean, comfortable, habitable places in which to perform those two primary functions, something may be amiss. And the third thing, and I think this is really the biggest red flag of all, um, unless you have some sort of specific vision problems or, or some sort of medical condition that makes this impossible. But if you are routinely closing your windows and blocking sunlight out of your home, maybe you keep the shades drawn or the blinds closed all day. Maybe you have hurricane shutters and you're pulling them over the windows and you are keeping most or all of the natural light out of If If you're living in a dark house, basically, um, that I think is really the biggest red flag. And I I think sometimes it's good to have an objective checklist where that forces you to do a gut check, even if you're saying to yourself, okay, well, these things may, I mean, yeah, fine, I do these things, but I'm fine. I really am fine. Um, I have been there myself. I have at various times told myself that various things that I knew were not functional or not really healthy for me. There were reasons and there were reasons why I was different or why my situation right now is different or why, you know, certain rules of of healthy living did not apply to me. Um, and so again, all rules of healthy living almost certainly apply to you, just like they apply to almost everybody else. Uh, it, you are probably not as special and exceptional as you think you are. That is certainly something that many people have to learn, and and it can be a bitter pill to swallow, but I think ultimately it is advice worth taking because it does make it simpler to to clear the path to start taking better care of yourself or to get the help that you need. Um, And you may be gleaning from this that my mother was in need of help that she did not know how to ask for. And that much I I will say that that my, you know, things had had gotten bad with my mother in ways that I did not realize living here in New York. And she obviously needed help much sooner than she got it and didn't know how to ask for it. Um, I will probably spend a good portion of the rest of my life not not liking the fact that 
things had to get bad before I realized they were going badly. Um, the only self-defense I, I can really offer, aside from the fact that that I, my life, you know, 20, 23 years ago, I moved up here and, and began my life up here. Um, but it's always tough with our moms. You know, we, you grow up and your mom is, is just the, truly the, this looming powerful figure over your childhood. And, and there's something of that remains with you your whole life. And when your mother tells you that she's fine and your mother tells you to leave her alone and your mother tells you not to worry about certain things, it is very hard to overcome the conditioning of a lifetime that bids you to listen to your mother. But at a certain point, um, that is, its own kind of trap. And so I would also say to those of you out there with elderly parents, if you are concerned about your parents, if there is a little voice that, you know, needling voice that's saying to you, you know, this doesn't doesn't seem like, I, I can't put my finger on it, but it doesn't seem like everything is going as well as it should be. Um, it could be worth following up on that when you have that feeling, even at the possible risk of irritating your mother or father or whoever it is that you are you know, checking in on. And hopefully you will be able to overcome that irritation by saying, I love you and I was concerned. And and that's why I'm I'm making inquiries that might seem invasive to you. But please understand it is only because I love you and want to help you. I will also say this, and and this I actually will um because this is not about my mother's condition right now per se. Um but this is a, a little bit of life philosophy that that I've developed over the years and that recent events have reinforced for me. Um, you know, I, I, I talk a lot in my writing and on this podcast and in my stories uh, about how often I hear from people how much they love animals because people are terrible. People are disappointing. People will hurt you. People will betray you. People are untrustworthy and so on and so forth. And in comparison, animals are, are wonderful. And I, again, I, nobody understands that instinct better than I do. Having said that though, I do not, I believe that most people are essentially good, that most people would rather do the right thing, that they would rather be good people. I do not labor under the delusion that humanity in great numbers will come sprinting to your aid the second you have a crisis. Look, everybody's just trying to live their own lives and and get through their own stuff. And sometimes that can make people unintentionally careless or hurtful. And sometimes it can even make them intentionally careless and hurtful. And everybody listening to this has at some point done something careless or hurtful towards somebody else that they wish they hadn't done, that they felt terrible about at the time, that you probably still feel terrible about. So certainly i i am not trying to sound like a pollyanna that that all human beings are angels i i get it i do um but i do believe that most people are fundamentally good people and i also understand that i am in a somewhat unique position of getting to see people at their best all the time simply because of what i do every day every single day somebody sends me an email um, telling me about a cat that they rescued, about a shelter that they volunteer for, about an elderly parent who they read Homer's Odyssey to, and all, and and they're just sharing their stories with me because I shared a story with them. But those kinds of things, rescuing a helpless animal, volunteering at a shelter, um, reading a book to an elderly parent, these are all innately good and kind and nurturing things to do. And every day, I, I witness 
people at their best, they are not writing to me to impress me. They're just letting me, they're writing to let me know why they relate, they can relate to Homer's story. But the fact remains that what they are showing me is themselves at their best. Um, I, no, no writer was ever blessed with just such a warm and good hearted and supportive community of readers as I am. And I am not saying that to yank your chains or, or to, to sell more books. I suspect if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably already bought my entire oeuvre. You, there, there's no more money left for me to squeeze out of you. And, um, and yet nevertheless, I, I'm very lucky. You are all very kind to me. You are all very kind to animals. You are all very kind to your families. And I am incredibly, I, this is not a word I use frequently, but I am incredibly blessed to have you in my lives, in my life. Um, but here, here's what I will say. You know, in my family, the, the family lore has always been that the, the family narrative, maybe is a better way to put it, that I am just like my dad. My sister is like my mom. Um, and there's certainly a, a lot of truth in that. It, it's not entirely true, but as family narratives go, it's it's reasonably accurate. I do get a lot from my father, and I've talked a lot in my writing and on this podcast and on social media about the extent to which my love of animals and and my desire to be of not just to love animals, but to be of use and and to help. That is something that comes straight from my father, who was a great advocate for animal rescue in my childhood when very not a lot of people were really talking about it when it was, you know, kind of like like wing nuts, like those crazy animal people. Those those were the ones who who volunteered at shelters or or anyway. Um you know, my father was a trusting person. Um, sometimes to the point of gullibility or or naivete, although I would not say he was naive in general, but my father tended to take people and what they said at face value um, and and to be very angry when and and want to to do something to help when he saw people being bullied or taken advantage of in some way. He was very generous of spirit. He was the kind of person, if if he had a dollar and you needed 75 cents, he'd give it to you. Um, and so many of those are, are traits that, that I, I think I share with him. Um, my mother and my sister have many wonderful qualities that my father and I do you know my father has since passed on that my father and I do not have but I will say one way in which they are very different from us is that they are generally mistrustful people um they tend not to believe in other people's good intentions or to give them the benefit of the doubt in that regard and they they tend to to look for they they expect people to try to do them wrong, and so they are looking for that wrongdoing before it happens. Now, some might say that that is ultimately the more cautious way to go through life, that if you, you know, at least, okay, so the person who is more mistrustful, that may not be a happier way to go through life, but it's probably a safer way to go through life because somebody like that is less likely to be taken advantage of to their detriment. And to some extent, that is true. I will say, and again, longtime listeners of this podcast know that a few years back, I trusted some people in my writing career 
um, who did not warrant that trust. And I trusted them to my detriment. And the results were so catastrophic that for a while, I mean, I, I fell into a very bad place psychologically and emotionally that I was not sure I was ever going to come out of. So I, I do understand the downsides of being too trusting. And yet, if I had to pick wh which way to be, too trusting or not trusting enough, um, I would still pick too trusting and I will tell you why. And this is actually something I wrote about in chapter two of Homer's Odyssey a little bit. Um, and and so this might sound a little bit familiar. But life is not just a series of victories and defeats. I mean, it, and and it is, I guess, they're, they're always, right, it, they're always going to be victories and they're always going to be defeats. And, and to some extent, that's going to be cyclical. But it's also about developing personality traits that will carry you through most, if not all, situations. I, I think the person who is able to trust in other people, like, like you're you're going to be hurt by others and taken advantage of and, and have your trust betrayed unless you literally trust absolutely nobody ever, which is not a way to go through life. No matter how cautious you are, at some point, you're going to make the wrong decision about who to trust or why to trust them. And there's really no way of sparing yourself the pain of that as you go through life. But if you are a person who tends to believe in the best of people, who who is trusting, um, trusting, you know, again, and and I'm not talking about blind trust, but I, I think you all understand what I'm saying. If you cultivate your own good heart, and if you do your best to see the good heart in other people, I think that that is a for your own survival. Ultimately, it is a better way to approach life. It is a better personality trait to have. And I think in part, that is because what whatever defeats and depressions and setbacks you suffer are going to be easier to pull yourself out of if you have a fundamental belief in the goodness of people and of the world around you, just for starters. But I think everybody at some point is going to find themselves in the position of needing help. And if you really, and I don't mean help fixing a broken window. I don't mean, you know, help with, with someone to take you to run, to buy groceries. I mean, at some point you are going to have to put your life in somebody else's hands um, or try to carry it all by yourself. And I think if you are a person who has not cultivated your own goodness of heart, and a belief in the goodness in others, you are going to find it very difficult to put your life in the hands of others when the need arises. And I think you will fall harder and faster than you need to because of it. I, I, you may even find that you don't need to fall in the first place if you just let somebody be the, the person you trust to be there to catch you. So you don't hit the ground. I, I know I'm speaking in platitudes here. Um, and you may be listening to this and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this all. But I really do think that a good and trusting heart is its own reward. I also just think it makes you happier. I think it's just a happier way to be. And I think the the more life goes on, you know, as, as you 
get older, you start losing things. That that is just the inevitability. You lose spouses, you lose friends, you lose family members, you you lose your you lose the ability to do certain things, you lose physical abilities, you lose mental abilities. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how much harder I find it to remember simple facts or places where I've put things than I used to 25 years ago. Um at a certain point, life really does become all about subtraction instead of addition. And I'm not saying this to bring anybody down, but I will say that if, if you, you know, cultivating a good, your own good heart is just going to bring its own joys. And it's the kind of thing you can actually add to. It is one of the very few things you have that you can always have and that you can keep adding to as you get older. Um, None of it has to be taken away from you. The way that your ability to to look great in a black cocktail dress or do those killer workouts at the gym or take on a difficult and complex new work project, so many things fade as, as time goes by. But your own good heart and the happiness that comes from it, that is something that can grow Every day of your life, I don't care how old you live to be. And to those of you who think that I sound like a naive idiot, I I guess none of this is going to make any sense. I I hope there's somebody listening, though, to whom this does make sense and to whom it does mean something. Um, My grandmother used to say that, that you cannot put your head on somebody else's shoulders, and by which she meant that you can never make anybody else see a situation or see life or see the world the way that you do. And so I understand that I cannot convince anybody who just thinks I'm spewing a lot of crazy nonsense. But if you are somebody teetering on the brink or if you're somebody who's questioning whether or not your your own goodness of heart makes you too vulnerable and maybe it's something you should work on on quelling a little bit or, or your tendency to trust or any of that, um, for for whatever it's worth, I believe that you are always better off erring on the side of goodness and faith and trust. I think even in the situations where those things turn out to be misplaced in the long run, you are building a better, happier future for yourself in cultivating those qualities. And that's kind of all I have to say today, except to say that if you were listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you uh, are already attempting to cultivate those qualities in the form of loving the animals in your life that you love and, and maybe even being an animal rescuer, to which I would say you are already on the right path. Um, please do not let your work in animal rescue and seeing sometimes the terrible things that that some people do to animals color your opinions of humanity in general. Again, understand you're talking about an incredibly small subset of people who are cruel to the helpless. Most people are not. And do not allow your frustrated kindness when you see cruelty. Do not let that jaundice your view of life or the world or humanity in general. There really is more good out there than bad. There there really, really is. And it's an important thing. It's an important knowledge, I think, to hang on to. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye for now. I do promise that when I come back next week, we will have returned to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks so much for joining me. 
And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today. 